Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. My name's Nate, one of the pastors on staff. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead, do me a favor, open them to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, as we're continuing our series, Joy for Today. And while you're flipping there, I want you to visualize, really imagine the most confident person you know. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's one of your friends or a coworker. It could be somebody that is in the same room as you right now. It could be your spouse. Uh, think about them and you know how closely tied the joy that they experience is to their confidence. Uh, think about a discussion, a debate, maybe even an argument where they were so sure about what they thought they knew and they were actually right and the joy that you saw in them as a result of that. Um, I know my wife and I, we do this very frequently. We're both very confident people. Um, very often when we put our kids to bed at night, we will wind down by watching a TV show or watching a movie in bed, uh, a show that we're really into right now is called Alone. If you don't know what Alone is, there are 10 contestants. They get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and they have to make their own shelter, their own food. They have to like hunt animals and it's just like who can last the longest will win. So that's been our life for the past like month. And we're watching Alone the other night and this big cat comes across the screen. And as this cat comes in the screen, I look at my wife and I go, look, there's a lynx. And that would be like strange for the average person, right? But um, something about my wife is she is a cat lover. She loves all things cats. She's taught me things about cats, that there's different types. There's uh, Maine Coon, which is like your big furry cat. There are uh, Bengal cats. There's the, the cat without hair is called a sphinx. There's feral cats. There's, there's all these different cats. So I was very confident when I blurted out Look, there's a lynx. And then she fires back. No, 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 no. That is a bobcat. So already we're both very confident in what we believe. And I'm like, hey, we go, we're going back and forth. That's a lynx. That's a bobcat. That's a lynx. That's a bobcat. And it finally got to that point. We, we've all been there. Okay, what do you want to bet? Uh, what, what are we willing to place on the line for this? So I pull up Google. I look up a lynx. It turns out that I was right. I showed my wife. I put it in her face and I was like, boom, there it is. That's a lynx. I was right. You see, my, my joy was so closely tied to my confidence. And very often we'll see this in people when their confidence comes to fruition, how excited they are. And as we're continuing in our series, Joy for Today, we're going to look to Paul. We're going to look at his circumstances that he finds himself in that, that are not good, but the confidence that he has in Jesus Christ and his risen Savior, that produces joy in him. So let's go ahead, go to verse 19, and we'll get started here. Verse 19 says, yes, and I will rejoice. What is he speaking about? What is he referencing? Last week, we covered that Paul's in prison. He's chained between two guards. There's no way that he's getting out of the situation. He's not breaking out. He's not going to be freed, but he's saying, I'm going to rejoice, knowing that the gospel is being furthered, that people are coming to know Jesus. And there's people that are speaking ill about him, people that are bringing down his name, but he's like, hey, it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's about the name of Jesus and that gospel is going out. Uh, the, the Christianity is growing. So I'm going to rejoice. He continues on. And he says, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then here it is, the verse that we all know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I, sh- I shall not choose, uh, I cannot tell. But I am hard-pressed between the two of my desires to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but, re- but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so many of us know this passage, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And Pastor Dave was speaking about this, and he says, hey, Philippians is full of of verses that you're going to see on coffee cups that are going to be like in, in Home Goods or Hobby Lobby that's on a piece of wood that you put on your wall, or maybe it's on a bumper sticker. And what I want to do is I want to really dig down deep, really press to understand what does it mean to live as Christ? What does it mean to die is gain? And as we're working through this, we're going to focus on those two words. Uh, we're going to focus on confidence and joy. So I want to give you the big idea and what is really the summary uh, of this passage, and it's joy is an illusion without confidence. Joy is an illusion without confidence. It is fleeting. It is something that is running away from us. If our confidence is not grounded in the correct place, it'll feel like vapor. It'll be like mist. It'll be like sand that is running through our fingers, something that we are trying so hard and desperately to grasp, but we just cannot do it. True, authentic joy comes from our confidence being grounded in the correct place. That is in Jesus. That is in confidence and knowing that his work is finished on the cross. So Paul is going to give us an understanding. He's really going to lay out where our confidence needs to be grounded. The the first thing I see here is that my confidence is grounded in the guarantee of my deliverance. The guarantee of my deliverance. Verse 19 again says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full co- for full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So remember where Paul is writing this. He's writing this from prison. And when he says deliverance, when he says that I am going to be delivered, he's not talking about being liberated from prison. He's not saying that one day I'm going to walk out of here a free man. He's not saying that, you know what, when I leave here, I'm going to have um, a joy in my earthly circumstances because they're most likely not going to change. When we look at that word deliverance and we look at the original language, it can be translated salvation, that, he, that he's confident in his salvation in Jesus. And again, he's going to write to Timothy and he's going to say this, that the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. See, Paul's confidence, it is extraordinary, but in his confidence, there is no hint of self-confidence. He's saying, I am fully dependent on the prayers of my brothers and sisters and my friends in the church to lift me up, that I need a filling from the Holy Spirit. And by you all praying for me, uh, that's going to happen. And now think about this. Paul's an apostle. Uh, Paul, formerly Saul, used to persecute the church. He would hunt down Christians. He was trying to stop the movement. He, he would kill them. And then he has this radical interaction with Jesus. He changes his name to Paul. Uh, Jesus speaks to him and charges him with planting churches, charges him with bringing up disciples and helping further the gospel. Uh, this same man that was face to face with Christ is desperate in need for prayer. He's saying, I, I, I need this. This is my lifeline. I cannot do this without prayer. 
We need to be the same way. We have to have the same conviction. You know, it's like Michael Jordan. He's standing at the free throw line and he's ready to take a shot, but there, there's no noise. The, the crowd's not cheering. It's just silent. Uh, I would believe that he would kind of look around and be like, hey, I, I need you guys to have my back. Hey, I, I need you to cheer me on. Uh, before sports were kind of canceled for the year, uh, they're talking about taking fans out of the arena. Uh, LeBron James was like, I'm not playing if the fans are not there. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it's the same way today. We really need to practice prayer. We really need to realize that the two cannot be separated, that we need to pray for each other, especially when we're going through hard times, especially when we're trying to endure these hardships. Our prayers can not only affect the confidence, but the filling of the spirit of our brothers and sisters. Um, my wife, we've experienced this. There there was a period of time when I first came to this church, I was not a believer. I was not following Jesus. And um, she would pray fervently for my salvation. Uh, Eric and Jenny Klingle, we would meet together and they're praying for me. Dan and Christy Cook, they're praying for me to get saved. And I fully believe that by their prayers through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, that happened. You know, our church, we have a prayer chain. If you're not on the prayer train, I would uh, strongly encourage you to email Craig at harvestspringlake.org and um, get added to that so you can be on the front line of seeing uh, our church pray for each other to uh, identify one of our members and say, you know what, we we need to lift them up in prayer that, that we fully believe that the Lord can move and we fully believe that he hears our prayers. So we need to take advantage of that. Um, my wife and I, a year ago, we were at the Mayo Clinic and she's going through pain. We're trying to get a diagnosis. We're going through all this, these tests. Um, nothing happened. We, we didn't find out what was wrong, but we had a prayer night here at the church and we were all circled around my wife. We all laid hands on her. We prayed over her. We prayed for something miraculous to happen. Standing here today, she's no longer in pain. Um, we don't know what it was. There wasn't a treatment plan. There was not medication. There was no surgery. I firmly believe that through the power of prayer that she was healed from that. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, says this. He says, prayers that cannot be uttered are often prayers that cannot be refused. Martin Luther says to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing, that the two go hand in hand. You cannot live without breathing. There has to be a constant rhythm of in and out. If we're just breathing in, we will die. If we're just breathing out, we will die. That in order to sustain life, we have to breathe. In the same way, in order to be a Christian, we have to have prayer in our lives. We cannot separate the two. Uh, Paul is going to go on to say that, um, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What is the hope that Paul has? He's going to show us the difference between biblical hope and worldly hope. You know, if you look at hope in the English uh, dictionary, it always comes with a hint of uncertainty. You know, like I, I hope there's going to be basketball again this year. I hope tonight when we take our kids and we put them to bed, it's not going to be like we just trekked through the Sahara Desert and they're just parched with thirst and they're just dehydrated and there's a 10 more up and down the stairs of that. I just, I need water. I need something to drink. I need this. I need that. I just, I hope they just go to bed without a fight. Um, how about this? I, I, I hope that we'll be able to 
meet in person soon. Uh, biblical hope, it brims with certainty because of the fact that God is God and he has underwritten the future. He has underwritten all of time so we can have confidence and we can trust him. Paul's hope it, it is radiating in confidence. Uh, he uses the same word when he's talking about this eager expectation when he writes a letter to the Romans. Look at Romans 12, two, it says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. When saying this, Paul, he is going to demonstrate this intense expectation of what he is sure to happen. He may have difficult circumstances. In front of his face might be more persecution, more hardship, but he knows what is certain to happen. That is what his hope is in. That is what his confidence is grounded in. The second thing I see here is my confidence. It's grounded in my win-win relationship with Jesus. My confidence is grounded in my win-win relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's this guy in my small group, his name's Sam, and um, he's a guy I know that he's going to come every single week. He's going to be prepared. He's going to be excited to be at small group. He's going to speak truth and life into the people of our group. Um, I know I can count on him uh, to just be there and really model bearing each other's burdens, being open and honest and transparent. And I love having Sam in my small group. Um, but also, I, I need more small group leaders in 20s ministry. So I talked to Sam and I'm like, hey, I love having you in our group, but I see the Lord doing things in your life. How would you feel about leading a, a small group? And his response was like, well, I don't have a conviction not to. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take that as a yes. So, um, you know you know what, man? Either way, it's a win-win for me. Either I have you in my group and I know that I can uh, count on you being there and I know that you're going to bring encouragement to me. But also if you're leading a small group, I know that you're going to make disciples. I know that you're going to be someone that can lead and lead well because you're leaning into the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the convictions in your life. So either way, it's a win-win for me. This is what Paul says when he um, talks about that well-known verse that we all know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So let's break this down into two parts. The first part, to live is Christ. At the deepest level, we can say this. This can be a truth for us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Uh, Paul can say this confidently because he has literally taken up his cross and followed Jesus. Uh, think about his ministry experience and, and look at what he says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, for far greater labors, for more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And, and then listen to the dangers that he's going to list off and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, uh, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from many other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my anxiety of all the churches. 
So we're looking at that and we're like, man, there's no way that's a win-win. Like that looks like worst case scenario. That looks like it's a a lose-lose situation. But his confidence was not grounded in his earthly situation. His joy wasn't found in the presence trials that he was in. This is how in Galatians 2.20, Paul can say confidently that I've been crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life I live in in the flesh, I'm gonna live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That he can say, it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about what I'm going through. It's about what Christ has gone through. It's about his name. It's about the confidence and the joy that I can have because of what he endured for my sake. We all must understand for me to live as Christ. It's not a victorious stance and living a trouble-free life, but instead it's experiencing the joyous embrace of the burdens of Jesus Christ. For this to be a reality for us, there's three things we must do. We must have a cross-centered life. We must have a cross-powered life, and we have to have a cross-exalting life. We have to make everything about Jesus. So let's look at that second half for me to die is gain. You know, if you're looking at that and you're thinking that that doesn't make sense, how can you say that there is any gain to be have in dying? And if you're on that side of the fence, I would um, strongly recommend you just reevaluating your understanding of the gospel. First uh, John three two says, "Beloved, we are God's children now." And what we will be has yet to come, or has yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because what we will see shall be him as he is. This is what we are awaiting in Paul's death, in our death. It means that our righteousness will have become its full effect. It will have gone from being justified to being glorified. That sanctification will have ran its full course. Martin Luther said this. He said, at the same time, justified, yet a sinner. But in death, this battle will be over and the apostle would repose in all righteousness. In this world, Paul experienced pain after pain. He experienced trauma after trauma, but in his death, it would all be over. And he rejoiced because of this. Uh, Look at Revelation 21. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So what does this look like for us? Uh, For me to live is blank. What would that be? For for me to live is my title at work. For me to live is to be the the best husband ever. For me to live is to be the best parent ever. Uh, Listen, these are all good things. They are all things that we should definitely have in our minds, but they should not be at the forefront of our minds. And listen, I I get this wrong all the time too. I'm an all or nothing type of person and I get laser focused on something, but, but here's the reality. If it's anything else other than for me to live as Christ, if something else goes in that blank, then in death, it'll be the loss of everything. That is what we are risking if we do not get this right. You see a lot of people, we have our earthly desires and things we want to chase after, but you you will see the people who would would look at and say they have everything that their heart desired uh, under deathbed. They are some of the most miserable people that we know. So Paul shows us where our confidence needs to be grounded. 
and the assurance of our deliverance and our win-win relationship with Jesus. And through that, we can fully see how to have the full embrace of joy. And the first thing I notice is to fully experience joy, I must bear fruit. To fully experience joy, I must bear fruit. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. So if Paul is being honest with us, uh, we have to be honest with ourselves that bearing fruit, it's tough. It is hard. It's something that we strive after. And for those of you that don't understand what that means to bear fruit, it means having tangible process that can be observed, that you can see that somebody is growing in their relationship with Jesus. Now, I can't judge somebody's salvation. That's not my job. But I can look at them. I can observe the fruit that they are are bearing. And with this in mind, Paul is going to say this in the letter to the Galatians. Uh, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Like I said, it, it's it's difficult to full experience joy. We we have to bear fruit. Um, we cannot fake it until we make it. If that is our mindset, if that is what we are actually trying to do and live this double lifestyle, eventually we will run out of gas and we will slowly just start to implode. We have the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But here's the thing is that we are still in the flesh. There is this battle that is waging. Sinless perfection is not a thing. This war will continue to wage. We have to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. So what are we convicted of? What are the things that we see that we know are not um, helpful, that are not beneficial to our souls, that go against what the Spirit desires? And um, really just imagine this. You have that earthly thing in front of you that, that you know is not glorifying to the Lord, and it just keeps you coming back for more, right? And that's in front of you. And then Jesus is hanging on the cross, and you're looking back and forth and you're, you're looking at this thing, you're looking at Jesus and Jesus is saying, hey, don't chase after that, Nate. That, that, that's going to satisfy you for a moment. It's gonna give you a taste that's just going to keep you coming back for more, that you will never be content. You're going to constantly be striving after it. And he's gonna say, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Come to me and I will give you rest. And in that moment, what do I do? I look to Jesus and I say, it's not enough right now. That, that, that I'm choosing this right now. This is more appetizing to me. This is what I truly believe is going to give me joy, truly believe that's going to give me confidence, Jesus. That's not good enough. No, recently I I started working out and um, started eating healthy and I started eating all these disgusting foods like mushrooms and spinach and things that are just like, I, I, I can't do it. And I know you're thinking, um, spinach literally has no taste. Yeah, that's how bad it is for me. All right, so so I'm trying to do this and I know that these uh, veggies and these greens and, and the mushrooms and all these nasty things, that they're going to be good for me. They're gonna be good for my health. They're actually gonna be good for my soul. They're gonna make me feel better, gonna give me more energy. Um, I didn't communicate this to my wife that I was doing this. I just remember all or nothing, just full send. Here we go. I'm eating healthy now. So Father's Day comes and she decides she's going to get me my favorite snack. So she gets me this. This is a box, a full box of Andy Caps hot fries. Okay. Um, 
these are not good. These are not good for my health. These are not good for my soul. The problem is I can uh, smash one of these bags in about a minute and a half. And I can't even explain the flavor to you because it's so made up. But I'll be sitting there. I'll be looking at the mushrooms and the spinach and, and the things that I know that are going to give me a long and healthy life. And then I'm looking at the hot fries and I'm like, man, that tastes good right now. Um, 30 minutes from now, there's not a good result, but right now that's going to fulfill me. Right now that's going to give me joy. And so often we choose to fill our souls with things that are only going to cause more damage. See, Paul, he's, he's stuck between enduring in the flesh and going to be with Jesus. And looking at that, uh, there would be an obvious answer. Like, like, go be with Christ. Like, end your suffering. Enjoy glorification. Like, go. We'll see you when we get there. But look at how he responds. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Second thing I see here is to fully experience joy. I must love sacrificially. I must love sacrificially. Sacrificial love is always you before me. It's always taking your eyes off of yourself, okay? When I'm doing marriage counseling, uh, so often people are not experiencing joy in their marriage because they are so consumed with themselves. What are my desires? What are my expectations? Are they being met? Because if they're not, my joy is going to tank. And what I've noticed is when we take our eyes off of ourselves, when we focus on Jesus and what he calls us to do, uh, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. When I do that and she's actually doing the same thing, I fully experience joy. It is amazing. And Paul is saying, I'm going to love you sacrificially, that, that I could go be with Jesus right now, but I'm going to choose to stay here because I know that you need help. I know that you need encouragement. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to have joy in this decision to stay but it's sacrificial love. You know, I, I would love to um, watch action movies or watch sports at night before we go to bed, but sacrificially, I, I choose, I, I make the decision to watch Gilmore Girls with my wife. I'll, I'll learn about Lorelai and Rory and Luke and his diner and like all these things that I, I shouldn't know. And some of you are laughing at me right now. That's okay because I'm modeling Christ's love, right? But, but that is sacrificial. And I do that um, out of bringing glory and honor honor to Jesus and loving my wife in the same way that he loved the church. You see, Paul, he expresses his desires, but he chooses to remain in the flesh for the sake of his brothers and sisters. Last thing I see is to fully experience joy. I must protect my witness. To fully experience joy, I must protect my witness. Verse 26 says, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And in order to live a life that is devoted to Christ, uh, something that is intended for us, we have to swim against the cultural tide that we are facing. That, that right now it is so hard to live a life that is glorifying to the Lord because our culture is so counter-Christianity. But, but look at what Paul says in the letter to the Romans uh, 12.2. 
He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, it, it, it's difficult to be a Christian right now. In a split second, we can completely throw away our witness. In a split second, by posting something online, by going off on somebody that has a different view from us, we can just completely destroy our witness. Jesus wants us to experience joy. Um, Jesus wants us to live a life that we can say, I have confidence in knowing where my eternity is. So these present problems are not going to affect my joy. And here's the thing is that Jesus died on the cross so that you can have that joy. But something else, church, is that Jesus, he did not die on the cross so that we can tune in here every single week and leave unchanged. So I want to give you three ways real quick before we close to protect our witness. Three ways to protect, to protect our witness. First one is humility. We have to be humble. We have to be humble enough to admit when we are wrong. You know, my kids, they see all sides of me, the good, the bad, the ugly. We can be having a family dinner together. Um, I can open us in prayer. I can lead us through a devotional, ask them how their day was, uh, teach them how to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and have an amazing dinner. But then maybe they forget to clean up their plates and then I'm, I'm going off on them and I'm being angry and I'm just lashing out at them. I have to be humble enough to get down under level and be like, you know what? I was wrong. Uh, dad was wrong. That, that was not glorifying to the Lord, that the Lord is still working in me. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Um, parents, some of your children have never heard that. Take a step in humility and do that. You know, that, that protects your witness so much. Do that with each other. Uh, the second thing I see is grace. Uh, protecting my witness requires showing grace. Our social media culture is something that we seriously need to get in check. We do not need to respond to everything we do not agree with. Uh, grace, uh, like scripture says, covers a multitude of sins. And then the third thing, we need to be resilient. Uh, look at this, Second Timothy. This is Paul speaking, says, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He fought the good fight. He ran the race. These are things that require resilience, require linking arms with our brothers and sisters. They require us constantly calling out, constantly praying to the Lord to help us endure these trials. So as we do these things, we, we look to the cross of Jesus. Jesus was a man that showed more humility than anybody else. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He left heaven on a throne to come be born in a manger. He submitted himself to the government, whether he agreed with them or not. Jesus also um, showed grace. We were rightfully deserving of wrath, but instead he chose to come. And as he's hanging on the cross, he's looking over the Roman soldiers who crucified him and he's crying out to God the Father saying, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He showed resilience. As he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's waiting to go to the cross. He's just overcome with what is going to happen. He's sweating drops of blood and he calls out to the Lord. He says, hey, Lord, if you can just take this cup from me, let it pass. Please do that because I don't want to do this. But then what does he say? Let, let your will be done, not mine. 
So many times we see Jesus get alone to get with the Father in order to build the resilience he need to endure those trials. So as we're leaving here today, we have to think about where is our confidence? You know, if you don't know Jesus, you have an opportunity right now to do that, to understand that we are broken, sinful people in need of a savior. And his word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And because of that, your confidence can instantly change. Your confidence cannot be in my job situation. It cannot be in this pandemic that's going on. It cannot be in any other worldly situation, but your confidence can be in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he conquered sin and death so that you can be made righteous. So why don't we do that? Why don't we make that decision? Choose joy. Joy is something that we can always choose to give away or it's something that we can choose to embrace. Let's have joy by knowing the guarantee of our deliverance. Let's have joy by understanding our win-win relationship with Jesus. And let's have joy leaving here today, fully standing grounded in the gospel, just as Paul was as he wrote this letter from prison. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for, you know, just my heart even coming in here and the confidence um, that I have. Lord, I, I'm completely without confidence without you. So Lord, I, I just thank you that you are near, that when we draw near to you, you promise to draw near to us. Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, for a confidence to just be topped off. And we can just remember everything that you've done for us, everything that you promise to do, that we don't have to have anxiety for tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself, that we can cast our anxieties on you, Lord, because you care for us. Lord, I pray for joy in this moment right now. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what next year brings. I don't know what our new normal is going to look like, but I know that I can have joy because I know that you are fully in control, that this nothing going on is taking you by surprise. Lord, I, I trust you. I love you. I pray for those that don't know you, that they'll make a decision right now to step confidently into your presence and fully feel the embrace and the love and the grace and the mercy that you offer. And they will walk out just having joy on a level they've never experienced before. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.